Folks, I'm very excited to have today's guest on the show. This gentleman has spent his entire 25-year career working the financial markets in London and New York for major investment companies like Goldman Sachs. In 2018, he left the traditional world of finance to get involved in blockchain, where he's presently the CEO of Bitrex Global, one of the largest and most trusted cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. I'm very pleased to welcome a chiseled finance vet to the Crypto News Podcast, Steven Stonberg. Steven, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the kind words. I love that. Where are you located right now? Uh, I mean, it's blockchain. We're everywhere, decentralized. But you know, I split my time. I mean, I'm not in ever sort of in one place, but you know, the company is based, we have offices in for Bitrix Global in Liechtenstein and in Bermuda. We have physical offices. People go to work, believe it or not. And you know, I spend a lot of time in those places. You know, I also spend some time in the U.S., personally, and Switzerland, and you know, looking forward to being in Miami next week for the Bitcoin conference. Oh, I love that. How bananas do you think that's going to be? I think it's going to be insane because you've had, you know, nobody, I mean, the markets are interesting. <laughs> now they're coming back a bit, so people are more excited. I think they were excited, not excited, now excited. But the fact that no one's been to one of these things in like two years or seen people, it's crazy. So I think, it, I, I expect it to be quite for me, I'm looking for the business relationships. I know some other people are looking for some other types of relationships <laughs> and things going on there, but no comment. That's very true. I've heard they have some crazy stuff in the pipeline at the conference. Supposedly, they're going to be lighting um, garbage cans of fiat on fire. They're going to be dropping like the Venezuelan currency out of a helicopter. Like it's just going to be banana land. So that should be. You know, I think like any new business and you know it's always a bit nuts like i'm old enough to remember when the internet was new and it was pretty crazy if you worked at those startup companies you know i think that's it, it should be a lot of fun and i think from what i've seen the crypto community is still pretty libertarian and still fun you know it, we're not boring in, in 10 more years it'll look like an investment banking conference but i think enjoy <laughs> it while it lasts would be I'm my a- view I've heard those I don't are, see it being like this in five years. Oh, I've heard those are pretty fun as well. Um, but that's a great segue into investment banking, where you spent 25 years of your career. Now, you held pretty prominent positions within traditional investment banking, and then you moved to the blockchain and crypto space. Most people dream of holding a position like you used to hold at a company like Goldman Sachs. When you left, People must have thought that you were absolutely out to lunch. You were crazy. You were eating your crazy Cheerios in the morning for brekkie. What kind of conversations occurred? What was the whole you know, ideology and rationale of maybe some of your colleagues and family when they were like, you're really leaving a world-class job and a world-class company to join the blockchain space? How did that go? And my wife said some of those things too, like you're nuts. But I think, you know, I can give you some context of my career. So I, when I joined Invest in banking, you know, and invest in banking is a pretty broad term. Like it means like there's sales and sales and trading is one side of it, and there's kind of like the more corporate stuff. I, I went into sales and trading in London out of business school in the 90s, and that was like nobody did sales and trading with an MBA, and no one moved to London. Like, so that I already sort of, I've always been kind of like a bit of a fish out of water. I've I've always gone the other direction from the crowd, you know. And I, but for me, I wanted to do sales and trading. I wanted to learn about global markets. You know, I was very into globalization, probably, you know, again, early 90s. It wasn't that in vogue yet. And I've always been attracted to things like that. So for me, it was great fun. And then I kind of left that world already in 2006. I left sales and trading and moved to the buy side and went and worked in hedge funds, which again was considered a bit risky, but, you know, a calculated risk. And, you know, I worked for some pretty fantastic hedge funds. 
and worked on the buy side. So I saw, sort of saw both sides of the industry. So for me, when I saw blockchain and crypto in the first boom, you know, I, I was not an early adopter. You know, I, I was aware of Bitcoin. I saw it around, but like most people, I was in New York at the time, and you'd see the logo, and you knew there was this like little Bitcoin exchange downtown. But you know, I was interested, but I never, you know, should, you know, didn't buy one. I wasn't that interested, and I'm not a techie per se, so I, I wouldn't have known how to do you know, hot wallets, cold wallets. You know, I, I know all the lingo now, but I definitely didn't know that stuff. So that was kind of my perspective. But I think it was very hard to not notice the first bubble. And that's when I really got interested and started meeting folks who were doing it and just really investigating it. And to me, I, this looked like a no-brainer. It just reminded me of like derivative markets in the 90s when that was so exciting and new and it was going to be very upending for traditional things. And I've always been attracted to things that are new, different, and will sort of upend the old order. That's a lot of fun. And you can make money and build something and have fun. So that, that's why I got attracted to it. And I just dove right in and didn't look back. So in hindsight, it may, might have been a bit crazy. And, and definitely, you know, for the last couple of years, my you know, friends in the traditional industry all you know, sort of ignored me or thought I was a bit nuts or didn't know, really care. I think things have changed dramatically now. Oh, you yeah. know, those, I, I'd say now I'm getting a lot of new friends on LinkedIn who are sort of <laughs> interested. <laughs> they want to be friends, I'm sure. No, I mean, they're obviously wanting to, to learn about the space. Of course. And that's, uh, that was a great intro. Thank you for that. On you have a YouTube series as part of Bitrex Global. You are the CEO there also. I should have congratulated you. Congrats on the new appointment as CEO. Well deserved. Thank there. you. That's, That's awesome. And uh, to our listeners, uh, Stephen was the CFO and CEO before this, um, and uh, and has recently been appointed as CEO. But one of the things that I love that you're doing and Bitrex as a whole is you guys are really taking advantage of the powers of social media. I know you have your bullish or bearish series on YouTube, which I love. Um, and I believe it was last week's that you also said that you were very bullish on hedge funds and PE firms getting into crypto. As someone with experience in that space, can you walk me through the decision-making process? How does a massive hedge fund get the green light and then actually make it happen and get into the space? Well, hedge funds, I mean, again, I, I saw a lot of parallels between sort of within the financial services industry as a whole, like you know, banks, investment banks, and you have hedge funds and you have, you know, boring old fashioned funds, but hedge funds tend to be, you know, they have the most, or the, they tend to be the most profitable you hear about them, right? The, you know, before crypto billionaires, and we'll come to that, the hedge fund billionaires, these were the big, you know, these were the, every high school kid wanted to be one of them. Oh, yeah. you know, they're driving around a Lamborghini, like worth a billion dollars and like have all this money. But uh, that seems like chump change now compared to some of the crypto people who were 10 or 100, you know, crazy money like we've never yeah. seen. But, you know, I think they, they've always been the most nimble, cutting edge. You know, hedge funds are regulated now and like they have to, you know, buy by the laws, but they tended to be much more nimble. You know, I worked for some, Pretty big hedge funds, but you know, big hedge fund. You know, the biggest is Bridgewater, and they have like 140 billion AUM. But a big hedge fund's like 30 to 40 billion in assets. But even with that, they only have like three to 400 employees. They tend to be pretty small, right? So, you know, you can be quite nimble. And the CIO, which is chief investment officer, they tend to be the owner or the CEO of the firm as well. And you know, they just make all the decisions. So, you know, we used to joke, it's a, like a Saudi democracy, you know, one, one king, one vote. So <laughs> they can move fast. It's not a bank where you have to have committees and all of this stuff. I mean, yeah, again, you have investors and you can't just, you know, there's an investment guidelines for the funds. You can't just do what you want, but, you know, Bitcoin and crypto is a new asset class. So I think what's interesting, and, you know, we'll talk about leverage, but 
know, a hedge fund's not just going to go one way and put 150x leverage. They would never be allowed to do that. So that's that's a silly way to invest, right? You can make a lot, but you can lose it all. Like on a risk-adjusted basis, that's bad. So I think what's interesting about hedge funds, they tend to be the smartest money, the quickest money. You know, they're very good at hedging, and right. you know, they they want to take calculated risks. So I think that type of investment discipline, which is what you need, investment discipline is discipline. So you want people who have experience and you know 20, 30 years of experience of investing, investing in any market. It doesn't matter if it's crypto or oil or whatever. So I think you know the, I wouldn't say a problem, but you know, crypto's a newish market. So you have a lot of young guys and tech people without a lot of investment experience. And so they think just because they made, you know, ooh, my 100 x bets worked out, well, that's not going to work out over a 10-year time horizon. You'll probably end up losing it all. So, you know, I think the more that we have investment discipline bit of maturity and, and normal standards, that's good for the industry. That's how it's going to grow and attract more people into it. So I think that's what's so great. It's it's the institutionalization of the asset class, the bringing together of the two worlds, and typically the nimble people are going to go first. And that's that's when stuff will really start to pop off. As someone who has experience in this, you're probably one of the few people that I can actually ask this question to. And again, one of the few on, who's been on the pod. But if you were speaking to one of these hedge funds, one of the CIOs slash owners that do manage a $40 billion portfolio, and you were saying, hey, look, we have all the capabilities. You can trade on BitRex, you can buy Bitcoin or the cryptocurrency that you want to get into via BitRex. We are one of the most secure on the planet and one of the largest on the planet. You can use us. BitRex aside, what does that pitch look like to get into crypto? Just crypto, nothing to do with BitRex. Well, it's interesting. So we're talking to a lot of the, and I think, you know, we're different. You know, look, we're not the biggest exchange. We don't have the most volume. I think at a high level, the industry, and I'm talking about crypto exchanges, which are one of the bigger use cases now on the blockchain. You know, that'll change over time. But that's that's kind of the biggest use case now. So I think there's, I'd lump them into two categories. The exchanges like ourselves who acknowledge that just because you settle your trade on the blockchain, it's still like, it's regulated. The laws are there. They apply to you just because you know, if you shoot somebody with a gun, oh, I didn't know it's illegal. Well, you're still going to prison. So, you know, if you illegally offer securities or offer over, you know, too much leverage or you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, not knowing is, is not, you know, and they have like years to come after you. So there's the camp that sort of acknowledge that. And I, you know, shove us in there, Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, you just, again, it's like normal business practices. And then there are some other exchanges who tend to be much larger, have massive volumes, but they don't acknowledge any of that. And you know, I think, as we saw with BitMEX, that that may not work out long term. And that that type of enforcement action, I think you'll see more of that for those types of exchanges that think that they can just set up in some jurisdiction and do what they want, and it won't come back to haunt them. So I think step one, we're in that camp. And you know, I think you know, long term, you have to be in the kind of regulated camp if you want to be here in 10 years and, and sleep at night for that matter. So, but if I'm going to go to institutions and in fact, I'm getting this pitch ready, like now that we can go back to London and all these places that have been shut, you know, if they're A, or they're already in or B, if they're thinking about getting in, well, where do you want to trade on one of these other types of exchanges? Now they would never trade oil or derivatives on an unlicensed, unregulated exchange. Like that's just, the, their fund wouldn't allow them to do that operational risk. Like they would never do that. Yeah. But so, but so, why would they do that in crypto? So I think if you educate them that here's a market with interesting assets, but we've set ourselves up in Liechtenstein, which is a AAA-rated country. It's using Swiss franc as the currency. It's part of the EEA. So for banking, it's part of the EU, uh, and that you know that's as safe as it's going to get. And we are regulated under the Blockchain Act in Liechtenstein, and we are supervised by the Financial Markets Authority 
of Liechtenstein, which is an EU bank regulator. So we're probably one of the only exchanges on earth that can say that in any jurisdiction, let alone a very legitimate one like Liechtenstein, where there's a huge asset management industry. That's already a country they do business with. You know, they don't no one, no hedge funds trading with the Seychelles or with Malta or some of these other places where <laughs> like crypto is gone. Well, that's great. But like a lot of, you know, like even banks can't take Malta country risk because they wouldn't be able to do business with you just because you're in Malta. Like, doesn't, and I like Malta, there's nothing wrong with it, but these are just facts. So, you know, I think we've tried to set it up so we're an institutional grade platform. You know, obviously we want retail investors, but we want the institutions and we want them to feel comfortable. And that's, that's kind of would be my pitch. And that is my pitch, which I'm, I'm getting ready. So I don't know what you think. Uh, no, I love that. Heck, you'd, you'd have me sold. So if I am... That was a good practice pitch. Thanks for that. 100%, you nailed that. If I was one of these hedge fund CIOs and you already have them convinced on using Bitrex, how does the pitch of crypto sound like? Is it the classic you know, inflation? I don't know if you saw the news, but supposedly Biden... Biden and his team are about to approve another six trillion dollar money printer. Yeah, I couldn't over. comment like, on. Come on, I say out of politics. I will comment on the impacts of reckless financial decisions. That's fair game. That's, so, what, that's what I mean, though. Tell me how I that. I think pitch they works. don't put it this way. I think two years ago I would have had to do that. I think the market has now done that pitch. Like I don't have to pitch that. Ray Dalio is buying Bitcoin. I mean, Alan Howard, who I used to work for, is running a huge hedge fund. They're buying Bitcoin. I mean, like Carl Icahn just came out yesterday and said he wants to go buy a billion and a half of. Like tokens, so um, you know dollar value. So I think the like, the industry knows. I think so. I think the thing you have to so that's been done for you already by the press and the current run up in asset prices. You know, again, it's hard for a hedge fund manager. They typically target in a good year twenty percent returns. I mean, you can make that in Dogecoin in a day. So again, they wouldn't take <laughs> that risk profile because they're not allowed to. Like you have to look if you look at it on a risk adjusted basis, though, which no one does in crypto. The returns don't look that good in a risk-adjusted basis. It doesn't matter. You know, it's hard to sort of get your investors happy. Oh, we were great. We only, you know, we made twenty percent this year. Like, who the hell cares? You could have made like ten thousand percent in some token no one ever heard of, right? right. And like, and with daily liquidity, twenty-four-seven trading. You know, hedge funds have long lockups, so they they sort of, I mean, their greed factor. They're interested because they can make money, and they sort of have no choice. Just like the banks that are now thinking about offering crypto to their clients because they have no choice. The clients are going to take their assets out and go to Coinbase or some or Bittrex, like if they don't offer these products. So you know, they're begrudgingly doing it. So anyway, I think that the the main kind of high level use case and like you need to be in this market without FOMO, like they're they're all in. And then it's just educating. I don't think they understand the platforms, the players. So that's actually that's I can dive right into that pitch. Like we know you're going to trade crypto now. Here's how we think you should do it. And here's a regulated way of doing it. Are there where where could massive companies, these huge financial institutions, and again, we've been using hedge funds, so let's stick with the flow. But where can they learn? Like, where are the best resources to learn how to do this without speaking like someone like you? Like, where do you learn about that? You know, I I go to YouTube again. I'm 26. I'm a little younger. Probably, I don't think there's a whole lot of you know hedge fund managers that are 26 years old. But for the people that aren't that didn't grow up in the digital world, where do you learn about trading crypto and having a MetaMask account and using Uniswap and, and all the nitty gritty stuff? So, and I did this myself, you know, three years ago or four years ago. And there was, you know, now there's so much more information. I mean, I think with crypto, there's so much information out there. I mean, you, you go to the, you know, I tell people, you know, don't read the fake news. Like, you know, the New York Times is calling it crypto is 
rat poison. And I think the Wall Street Journal called it fentanyl yesterday or two days ago. I, I don't, <laughs> so I wouldn't trust the sources who you know, have a political agenda or you just don't know. And, and right. frankly, don't really understand what they're talking about. Like that's, you know, if, if I wanted to get medical advice, I wouldn't go to like them. You know, I would go to a doctor. So yeah. here for crypto, go to the people who know about crypto. So there's tons of websites like yours and others that have tons of educational material. I mean, there's you know, Bittrex, you know, we have some on our website, but you know, other exchanges spend a lot of their time educating and look at, you know, look at all the exchanges. Make You have to make, like anything, if you're going to be an investor in the old world, you would look at multiple products, multiple providers, educate yourself. I don't think people do enough about that in crypto. They're just quick to get on an exchange, buy tokens, store them there without even realizing, like, what jurisdiction is that exchange located in? Do I have any protections? The things you would expect from a bank account. So, you know, I think, you know, do your homework, but it's all out there. I mean, there's tons of resources available and people in your age group know how to navigate pretty well. I exactly. Guess. I just, yeah, I've, I remember uh, Michael Saylor, he talked about pitching to his board about Bitcoin when he literally had to like make a PowerPoint presentation and walk them through every little baby small step. detail, baby steps, name of the game. Like, what is this? It's a good thing they listened. He's not, not too shabby anymore. What does he have? 90,000 Bitcoin now? That guy, uh, he is a sick puppy. He is, <laughs> he's a very rare breed and we'd love to have, Michael, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the pod as well. You and Steven, that would be a, quite the dynamic duo on the pod. Um, I, I think wanna... he's more interesting than I am, frankly, but that's okay. Oh, uh, yes, we'd welcome having a chat You're he's, anytime. He's got quite the the video background too, with that you know medieval uh, ship in the background. Have you seen that? I haven't. Now I'm gonna. You piqued my interest, though. I'll go check, check it out. It, it looks like it's worth a pretty penny. It's yeah. He's got he's got quite the the at home studio. Um, yeah, check that out when you get a chance. But I want to move forward over to Bitrex. Um, just in, again, very the one of the greatest and and you guys as you've touched on focus on security over absolutely everything else when you're giving that pitch to the general consumer talk about the main security points that one should be cognizant of when choosing an exchange so i think you know again the biggest thing has that exchange ever been hacked because i think if it has been and you know again some of the big unregulated players who shall remain nameless um, have been hacked and multiple times and you know you can I think you can get a good sense of these things too. If you go into all these exchanges, have like Telegram groups and chat groups, and the community, you know, for customer service is like reading Amazon reviews. But here, they really tell you what they think, <laughs> and like there's no editing, and there's, <laughs> it's on Telegram, so there's no sort of like Twitter censorship um, and Facebook censorship. You really get a sense of what it's like to be a client on these things. So I, I, I would take a look at that as a starting point. But you know, Bitrex. You look at the gene code of who's founded the exchange. In the case of Bittrex and Bittrex Global, you know, we are still owned privately by the three founders who set up the company. They all spent their careers at Microsoft and Amazon in security and building it for those companies. So these are experts and that's their gene code. That's what they come from. So that's the most important thing at Bittrex. So again, it's not being the biggest. It's not having the biggest volumes because it's about not getting hacked, offering security. And then we also want to comply with the regulations in the various places which we operate, because we you know, that's not negotiable. And that's one of the reasons I joined, because I agree with that philosophy. You know, I don't agree in the sort of gray area, let's see what happens. Like, no, you end up in prison. That's not sort of, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. I'm too old. Where, where right? did you get gene code from? I love that. I've never heard that before. Gene code. I don't know, like somebody's gene code and people replicate their gene code. So I, you know, I, 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 I've heard that saying before, like in hiring in a bank, you know, so, or any team, if you look at the person running the team, people tend to replicate their gene codes if they mm -hmm. hire like themselves. So I think if you have 
whatever's at the top of the organization sort of replicates itself throughout. So if it, you know if they're very like anti-regulation and pro-taking risks, then you're going to hire a lot of people like that. And then don't be surprised when your organization looks like that. So I think you know I'd rather have the one that's focused on security and regulation and maybe isn't the fastest growing, but then you can sleep at night. And you know I think this is a long, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You, know, you want to win the race, not just be ahead. I love that. That's a, that's a very interesting term. I just want to take a quick break and thank our friends over at Coin Poker. You guys have heard me speak about them many a times. Steven, are you a poker guy at all? I'm not. So I'm like not, I mean, I've played, but I'm not one of these like crypto gaming junkie people. So, <laughs> okay. <no>. Well, <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> for our listeners, you've heard me speak about these guys many times. They're the revolutionary blockchain technology based platform that was developed by ambitious poker lovers and sports gamblers. I'm a bit of a sports gambler myself. I don't dabble too much in poker, but whenever I'm on the go, you can whip out the mobile app and play a couple hands of Texas Hold'em or bet on sports. It's playoff season. You have playoff basketball, playoff hockey. You have the Euro Championship coming up. There are tons of sports. Belmont Stakes this weekend as well. You name it, it is there. Absolute great time to be doing all that stuff. They have the main in-game currency as USDT, as well as their own currency CHP, which was almost like a stable coin last week during the crypto crash. Barely lost any ground. You absolutely love to see that. Also offering quick, instant, and super fast and secure transactions using Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDT, and of course CHP. Tons of giveaways and incredible stuff for the community. Highly recommend giving these guys a try. And that is Coin Poker. Stephen, quick question. The last question about poker before we get back into the show. Playing Texas Hold'em, any hand, you could have any two cards in the hole. What are you picking? So I don't even play Texas Hold'em. So I'm like, I'm like the worst person to ask this question. But I would say more interesting thing about gaming, I think it's a really interesting space for crypto. But gaming is highly regulated. So you have to, if you can combine like a regulated gaming industry and then allow people to bet with tokens, that's, that's really interesting. So, I mean, I know some people are doing that now, but yes. you know, it's it's incredible. You know, that it's it's another extension of financial services. You can you have gaming, there's like insurance industry, all these things are gonna start moving into blockchain and crypto. So I think I didn't answer your question, but I, I'm still excited about the applications. You're bang on my apo- my apologies for putting you on the spot, but going back to Bitrex. Now you guys only have the three X leverage for a couple coins, which again, as a security exchange and as that is your bread and butter. Security over everything else, that makes yeah. a whole lot of sense. Now you have people, I have some friends who do 100x leverage and they'll wake up every <laughs> they'll wake up every hour and a half, every two hours in the middle of the night, just checking the price. Because if something happens like on May 18th where Bitcoin goes the other way, you're getting a call, you're getting a knock on the door, you might get a baseball bat to the knees, I'm joking, but it is not a pretty sight if that happens. What is your take on margin trading leverage in the whole nine yards? Well, I mean, so margin trading is nothing new, and there's very strict rules around it. So if, let's look at the old world. How does it work? And you know, you have limits, and there's haircuts for different types of asset classes, and you know, uh, so and there's also rules around how much leverage you can take if you're a retail investor. So that's just how, like, just a level set. That's how this works. So how has that been applied now in the crypto market? So the way we're doing it, we're only offering it through tokenized uh, leverage. So you basically have to, you're, it's a full cash investment. You have to put the money up front to buy a token. So effectively, the, you have posted your collateral because you've put up 100% of the notional of the token. And it's only three times levered. So it's very over collateralized. It's not that risky per se in terms of the amount of risk. And that's, 
also a derivatives that has an embedded derivative. So that is by definition a security in most markets. So that's only trading on our Bermuda exchange, which and those are security tokens, not utility tokens. So we're just dipping our toe into that, and we don't offer derivatives at all yet on on Bittrex outright, which we may at some point in the future. But you know that, those are complicated, and they're it's a whole other set of regulations. So. 100x leverage, or I think some exchanges are offering up to 120 or 150x leverage. And so let's talk about that. So do you know what the, Matt, do you know what the leverage rules are for retail on Bitcoin in Europe? Because there are rules, they're published. People, you know, we talked about before, they just don't follow them. Do you, take a guess. What do you think the max leverage, if you're a seller of, deriv- of leverage on a derivative on Bitcoin, what well, it is? You guys, you guys oblige to the EU rules, and yours is three X. So I'm going to go with three X. Well, that's hard. That's a token, though. That's fully. That's a funded trade. So I'm talking about an unfunded, where it's just a pure oh. derivative, like where I don't fund it. I just buy. So that's different. So on an unfunded trade, how much leverage? I'll go ten X. Two X into retail. Wow. So and by the way, derivatives are securities. So for those exchanges that are offering like 150X levered derivatives into, let's say, European retail, where they're selling securities without a securities license. And they're selling one, you know, seventy-five times the allowed leverage limit into retail. <laughs> so again, I, I wish them the best. The rules are there. You just have to read them. You can go and you know, the U.S. has its own rules. Every so, I just think that's that's sort of my comment on that. Now, if the and nobody would ever offer a hundred x or hundred fifty x leverage to retail without collateral. So, you know, of course, they're going to lose sleep. So again, you can make the money really quickly. But if you Google something called a sharp ratio, which is what people use in the old world. Like it's just, you know, return divided by the amount of risk you took. And then that gives you a risk adjusted return because you have to normalize it. So if you're doing 100x leverage, you're taking a buttload of risk. So yeah, you might look like your returns are great, but on a risk adjusted basis, I'd argue they're not that great. Like, of course you're getting great returns. You're taking crazy amounts of risk. So, and when you, you know, if you're doing on a derivative, you're exposed. Like if that thing, you know, as we saw the market blowout, you could lose everything and then you could owe money. Right, and then the other great thing, which I think people forget, you know, you owe taxes on this stuff in most jurisdictions. Like people just don't pay them because they have these crypto accounts and like the IRS or whatever, or you know, if they're European, like they they think that they don't owe tax. So let's say that you, you know, if you trade day trade, that's ordinary income. You owe income tax on that, right? So let's say that you bought some Bitcoin or you bought some token levered and you made some huge killing and went up like ten thousand percent, and then you sell. You've crystallized again. You owe income tax on that, and then let's say you blow it all and you lose it all and you lose more. That tax loss doesn't offset against your gain. So I think most retail investors have no idea the exposure that they're taking, and that they're actually on an after-tax basis. And again, at some point, the blockchain has a paper trail. They will find you. They'll figure it out. Maybe it's in seven years. You get some lovely audit. Spain just announced they're taxing globally the crypto. So. Again, you have this interesting window where it's not that the rules don't apply. They just can't enforce them yet. They will, and they will go back 10 years. So again, the rules apply. Really think about, you know, I don't want to, you know, you should be, they should be scared. Like I I try to scare people because they should not be doing this. There's the old saying in investing, there is no free lunch. If something seems too good to be true, it is. So look, you can make enough money just going long Bitcoin or long some of these other tokens and just sit on them. And if you hold them for over a year, that's a capital gains tax, much lower tax rate in the US and in most countries. So, you know, these, these asset classes are so volatile. Look at the volatility of Bitcoin. Why do you need to do 100x leverage in an asset class that already has 30% volatility or massive volatility? That's crazy. So that's where 
like a hedge fund CIO would never invest that way, but they're laughing. They're like, they can come in and look at all these idiots, like investing in a crazy way. I can just eat their lunch. You know, they'll make, they can put on some really interesting bets hedged and they'll be able to, you know, make money out of that insanity. Right. So that's who you're trading against now. And so I, I warn you even more if you're a retail investor, the, the whales and the, you know, the really smart money is now in the space. They would never do the stuff you guys are doing. You know, they'd be happy, you know, a 40% return is a great return. Remember, 20% is a knockout return for a hedge fund. So, like, I, you know, don't think that you're going to make these 10x, 50x, 100 That's not normal. This is just indicative of a crazy new explosive market. Take the money, run, put it in the bank, you know, invest it wisely. Anyway, that, that's my old people's advice. You, you just scared a lot of people, me included there. So let's take, perhaps, let's, let's say just in case uh, the Canada Revenue Agency is listening here, let's say theoretically I were to hold some Bitcoin, okay? And again, this is theoretically. If I were to hold some Bitcoin, my plan may or may not have been to hold on to this Bitcoin for as long as possible until it is so widely accepted that I can use this as you know, a means of payment and a means of transfer buy a house, condo, whatever the case may be, new whip, whatever, you know. So I never have to transfer that back to Canadian dollars, US dollars, or any type of fiat currency. Is that is that just a pipe dream or is that going to happen? Well, I think it's going to happen, but look, let's let's look at the tax implications of that. So the only thing that's like not taxable, like if you store your money in Canadian dollars in Canada, or if I have US dollars in my account, like that the dollar and then I spend it, there's no tax on just holding dollars. I mean, there is an implied tax, like that they're printing money and it's inflating away in value. But just in terms of, you know, the dollar, even if it appreciates against other foreign currencies, like I'm not going to have, that's not a taxable event for just holding it. But let's say I hold Apple stock in my account and it goes up in value and then I sell some of it to buy things. Well, then I crystallize tax, taxable gains or losses every time I, I liquidate the Apple stock to go and buy things. Now, in the case of Bitcoin, from a tax perspective, that would be treated like Apple stock. It's an asset. It's appreciating. It's not dollars. So the problem you have is that every time, let's say you bought Bitcoin at a dollar and it's now worth 60000 you're liquidating very small bits to go buy a can of Coke or whatever. And every time you sell a piece of that Bitcoin, you have a capital gain of like 60000 or whatever, you know, the, from your basis, your tax basis where you bought it. So it's not so straightforward. Again, people just aren't paying these taxes or thinking about it, but that's you don't have this problem in the real world. You can't just take Apple stock and buy Coke account, you know, with it. You have to liquidate it by dollars and then go and do that transaction. Right. But it's from a tax standpoint, it's the same thing. So I think again, people just really haven't it's it's so cool and interesting that you can take something that can grow in value, which the US dollar isn't, but you have to manage your taxes. Or tax liability around that. So again, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not giving investment advice. I'm not giving tax advice. Americans are subject to worldwide tax. You know, if a Canadian person, if you're not living in Canada, then there is no tax. So you know, you have to get your own tax advice. But I think this raises all sorts of interesting issues and conundrums because you've created a new way of doing things that hasn't existed before, and they have to figure out how to how are they going to treat it. I don't know. It's it seems like. A private company could come by and create a you know billion dollar solution to this problem where all governments would incorporate their program or software or whatever the case may be to fix this because I've spoke to a multitude of people and everyone has the same problem. Uh, but then again, this could take you know a, a full twenty four hour podcast just in itself. 
But why would they do that? But they can charge so much money to help you figure out all these other problems. Like they'd rather have the nightmare and then they have to solve it for you. That's how accountants and other people make their money, right? So, I mean, I see a whole new industry as crypto accounting. So I think, you know, for every new technology, it raises a new problem. You know, you had the same thing in, you know, an analogy. I like to look at history, you know, in the 90s when you had like Amazon and all these companies were new, they were shipping you goods directly and there was no sales tax. Like, so if you went to the bookstore and bought the book, you would pay sales tax in your state. If you bought it from Amazon, there was not. Well, that's not fair. And the bookstores complained. Didn't matter that Amazon put the book. Wait, that was, that was a thing? That was a thing, yeah. That was oh, like, I didn't know that. that. Was the, uh, you know, because that was the old, like, that was the current equivalent. And the internet was like new. And that was so cool. You could buy stuff and they would mail it to you. Like, this was never done before, right? And you could buy 24-7. And so, again, crypto, it's just, you're doing this in financial services, what, Retail happened in the 90s. And then eventually they figured out how to apply sales tax and all these rules. So it takes, there's always a catch up period. And then you're, you know, I think we're in that same period now where, and then there was a lot of taxes owed and lawsuits and they settled them. But, you know, we're in that kind of period where it's not that they haven't, they, they just haven't figured out how to enforce things. The rules are there. They're now aware people are not paying things. And now they're going to come after you. And, the, you know, the, I think the agencies, once they start to, figure out that, you know, there's money on the table. They're losing money. And when there's money, they want it. So they're going to figure it out and they're going to come after people. So I think, again, as long as you just assume the rules are the rules, this is just a new asset class, but it's still like dollars or stocks or anything else, the rules apply, you'll be fine. But if you think otherwise, I, you know, again, I would caution people and unlike cash, like there's a perfect trail and blockchain. They can see everything you've ever done. <laughs> so, I mean, be careful what you wish for. So, it's it's actually interesting. Well said. That will be uh that will be an interesting interesting couple of years ahead when they do knock down on this. But you talked about Apple stock, you talked about Amazon stock. You are one of the one of the platforms that has tokenized stocks. I think it is so interesting. For those at home, tokenized stocks allow you to buy actual stocks 24-7 all the time. And because these shares are tokenized, it is possible for you to buy a fractionalized portion of the stock. For example, an Amazon stock hovering at thousands of dollars a share, you can buy a portion of that. You don't have to buy the whole thing. And you can also buy it on Saturday morning or Sunday night when market is closed. And you can pay with a Bitcoin, yes. not with cash. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, so you think about it, and we've talked about you know Bitcoin and like or USDT and decision meeting the dollar. I mean, the whole financial services industry is really old and inefficient and stupidly designed and very compartmentalized. I mean, there's this one settlement system for U.S. stocks. There's a different one for European stocks, a different one for Swiss stocks, a different one for U.K. stocks, and none of these systems talk to each other. You know, if I want to buy U.K. equities, I have to trade in the London market with sterling. It's it's these these are global things. So. You know, it's that's kind of again, blockchain is a much more efficient way. And then stock exchanges close. They're open nine to five, Monday to Friday, and not on bank holidays. But crypto exchanges are open 24-7. And like you say, you can buy fractional pieces. So what we're offering, and just to be clear, they're not, they're tokens and they represent the value. It's linked to the value of an Amazon share, or it should, you know, it should be trading at the same price, but you're not actually buying Amazon stock. You're buying a token that's backed by some stock that's held somewhere else, it's a derivative, but or it's an embedded derivative. But they are definitely securities. So we offer these and we think they're hugely innovative because you can buy, again, like I can buy a fractional piece of Tesla 24-7. And I can be in China or you know, in markets where 
you have to be, if you're on our exchange and you've been, you have to be fully KYC, AML, all of that stuff. But if you qualify, you can buy these and it's really empowering. Because in a lot of these countries, they just don't have access to US or you know, foreign securities. FTX started that, right? FTX started it. So we've listed the tokens that FTX created on our exchange. So they're the issuer of all these tokens, including the leverage token. But I think you know, over time, now that we're offering securities tokens and we have the ability to list them, we're talking to companies that want to issue tokens that would be considered a security token. And that could either be equity in the company or it could be take a bunch of real estate and tokenize it. You know, these are considered securities. They're not utility tokens. They're, they're investments. So cool. Wow. The, uh... So cool. I mean, you can, you're, it's really, I, I, I feel like a broken record, but you know, like the Amazon, what Amazon did to retail, blockchain is going to do to financial services. This is the Amazon moment for them. It's... So JP Morgan, Goldman, you guys should be pretty scared. Oh, and I, they definitely are. You can tell that for sure. They definitely oh, they, are. Oh, that's, you can tell when they, they're, they're calling it fentanyl and rat poison and every other expletive. It's like they, they're angry and they don't know what to do because this is one they can't stop. You know, they can't regulate it away or stop it because it's global and it's out of their control. That is very true. They need to spread the FUD. Um, this has been incredible. I, I am very gracious of your time here. There's so many different things I want to talk about. So I'll only pick a few. Uh, before we wrap up, but I want to touch on the crash of last week. We are recording on the 27th of May on Thursday. Last week, uh, I guess a, a week, you know, or maybe that was two weeks ago, but regardless, the 18th of May when the sort of mini crypto crash happened. A lot of people are saying that that was mainly due to a bunch of organizations or bigger whales getting liquidated. You had people who, like we spoke about, were super long leverage. And the market just wiped everyone out. What's your theory there, and what do you think happened? As someone who's sort of on the inside, I, again, I don't know the facts, but I mean, I think again, if I were just looking at this like a, a, an economic student, which I was, you know, look at history. So, I mean, the if you look at back to the twenties and you know the big stock market bubble there, and then it blew up. It, we all know how the crash started. That was all caused by leverage, right? And then. Because there were no rules around the stock market, and then after that, then they had the SEC. All of these agencies we've you know come to know and love and hate, uh, like that all started that whole concept of regulation because they didn't want that to repeat itself. And human nature doesn't change, so there you go. So that's why you know, again we can still have bubbles in the real world, like 2008, but that you know that's typically because they stop following the rules, so they allow too much leverage to come back into the system. So here you have crypto unregulated, a lot of it. And you know, we talked about the fact there's crazy amounts of leverage available, and, and to retail, forget institutions. I mean, anybody can do it. So you know, you see, and you saw the incredible price run up. I mean, look at his histories of asset classes. Things just don't go up like this. You know, the Dutch tulip bubble is like the one. You know, and again, I think we're in the early stages of a new technology, so you will see these types of growth. And I, I'm not like it's not rat poison, but I'm not. You're going to see a lot of volatility, ups and downs, ups and downs. So. What happened last week? I think, you know, again, in an unregulated market with a lot of leverage, people got, you know, if it moves, it goes fast. And then it's just, it's a compounding effect, which is why regulators don't like that much leverage. The only thing I will say that's a huge positive, and I look at last week as a great thing for the crypto market. And that sounds nuts, right? But the, that shows you that's pure capitalism, pure efficient markets, and it worked. So in that type of a situation, like in the equity markets, that would be like, you know, headlines, the world's coming to an end, and then the Fed and everyone would have to come and print more money and prop it up. 
Why? To keep the big institutions like JP Morgan from not, you know, blowing up because it's all like an interlinked little cabal. Here, free market and it worked and it's bouncing back. So it just shows you that capitalism is still alive and well in the crypto market and it's pure unfettered capitalism, which is fantastic. Very well said there. That is, again, I had a lot of friends texting me, what happened? What happened? Are we going to zero? Are we going to zero? I didn't, I didn't give him an answer saying it we're could. going to zero. Buyer beware. That's the whole point. 100%. If you buy things, be prepared to lose everything. And that goes with any asset class. Don't expect the Fed or somebody. And that's a problem in the real markets. Like These central banks are propping up companies. You know, Some should go under. In the 90s in Japan, they did this. They created these things called zombie companies. Like they were basically like, you know, they were like zombies. They should have gone out of business, but because they printed so much money or gave them so much loans to keep the employment, and that's bad because then you keep bad companies alive. It stifles innovation. So I, I think the best thing about crypto, it's just so, you know, in this world of like wokeness and socialism, you've got all of this like free market capitalism is alive and well, and it's booming. <laughs> it's fantastic to see it. And I think, you know, in the end of the day, free markets always win. I mean, you read Adam Smith. This is nothing new. It's been around since like the 1700s. So I think you can try all these other systems. I think this is great. 24-7 capitalism. It's awesome. You got to love it. Last week was great for crypto as a whole, really showing uh, how strong the community is. And you, you almost had a feeling like there was no chance it would go below 30. Everyone sort of knew that. But moving forward, tell me about Bitrex's future and some of the awesome things you guys have cooking in the pipeline. So again, I think we're really excited. We we didn't rest during COVID. We actually launched. We you know, we got our license, our full license in Liechtenstein. We managed to get a, a set up another exchange in Bermuda and got a BMA license. And we're in the process of also getting one in Caymans. So I think that's pretty much for our exchange licenses. And this is for Bitrex Global, our non-US clients. Obviously, there's Bitrex US, which is separate for US clients. And we've just started listing security tokens, but I think we've only scratched the surface there. So I think you know, real issuers, and we can tokenize anything, buildings, art, um, you know, in addition, NFT market's interesting as well. So, you know, we expect to sort of grow our token business, I'd say, or tokenomics. And then um, you know, we're looking at other business businesses that are regulated where crypto could apply, where we think our clients would like it. Because again, the unregulated players, they're never going to be allowed. Regulators won't like them. They won't give them licenses. So we'd rather compete where they can because we can't compete against them, right? And we don't want to. You know, We will not do money laundering. We do KYC on our clients. But things like gaming or insurance and other things which have a lot of affinity for crypto, we think those could be interesting sort of like product extensions. And we're looking at them right now. One is a couple of rapid fire questions here. One is, when's Bitcoin going to hit 100K? I have, who knows? <laughs> I think it will, but I, again, I don't, if I knew that, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I'd be out investing. Um, but, you know, I think that, it, I, I, you know, I just think, again, if you look at the demographics, very few people on planet Earth are actually really buying crypto now. We seem to be at a huge inflection point, right or wrong. Bitcoin, for now, seems to be the consensus thing that you invest in. I, I can see just based on supply demand economics that you you could see that type of a price um, price being crossed. I think that's more realistic than people talking million dollars and all this. But again, if if I told you Tesla when it was at twenty six, it was going to go up to eight hundred, would you believe me? You know, but that took ten years. So right. I think you know it's possible. I you know I don't give investment advice. Who knows? But. Sure, that, that that's possible. What is sort of the last domino that needs to fall or what is the catalyst that needs to occur to really get the masses into crypto, whether that's a financial catalyst, emotional, you name it. But what's that one thing that needs to happen to get the masses in? 
Oh, I think complete lack of trust in governments. And I think, you know, just the, dis the dislocations caused by COVID and it's highly, you know, totally unfortunate. Um, but it's accelerated, I think, the adoption of crypto dramatically. And I think as an impact of COVID, you've seen all this, you know, huge economic losses and massive central bank printing. And that's really freaked people out because like you say, again, politics aside, you know, whatever your politics are, look at history. There's look at the 1970s, what happened on planet earth? Like that it's factual. You can't argue with it. You had this horrible thing called stagflation and inflation, and it was really bad and the you know, taxes going up. And I think you can see that it, at the time gold had a bubble. That was the only thing you could buy as a hedge and gold went from like $25 up to you know, over a thousand, which is a massive bubble. And I think that's what's happening now. And people will look for safe havens, unlike gold, which is a regulated, pretty restricted market, which is, you know, the governments can manipulate that. Here you have Bitcoin or Ethereum or all these different asset classes, which they have fixed supply. There is zero chance. The governments don't even understand this. Like they can't even, <laughs> let alone be able to like control it or do anything with it. So, you know, if you're a real libertarian or free marketeer, like this is, you have another way of investing. And it's a whole new paradigm because before it was, do I stay in stocks or bonds or gold? Well, what if I get rid of all of those and go and get rid of my dollars and just put everything into different types of crypto assets? That's never existed before. Right. And that's not modeled. Like This is like really game-changing. And it's going to be interesting for the central banks because they presume when they're printing money, there's unlimited demand for their money or they have a monopoly on it. Oh, well, it seems like there's, they're no longer. You know, maybe the... The central banks are the new Barnes and Noble, <laughs> and they don't realize it yet. Or like what Barnes and Noble pretended they were going to be fine. We'll offer Starbucks in the store; people will come. No, no one wants to. Be, you want to buy a book in your house at ten o'clock at night? Like I think same thing with assets. Do I want to trust a central banker and a government who's smiling and you know doing God knows what with it? No, nobody does anywhere. Very well said. Um, you just touched on central banks there. What's your take on CBDCs, central bank digital currencies? Are you yay or nay on a U.S. digital dollar? I, I think it's the dumbest. Like, who cares? So, okay, so you have Tether. What is that? That is a privately issued dollar, right? It's just a dollar. It's a dollar proxy. I mean, you're taking credit risk. You, know, you don't know who that issuer is. Where is Tether? Like, where is it issued from? Does anyone see the white paper? I, I've heard it's Taiwan. I don't know. So step one, like, understand what you're buying. But, you know, it's, it's pretty much widely adopted that that's a dollar proxy on the blockchain. But you're taking some risks. You know, where are they, which bank are they putting those dollars in? Do they really have enough? But it's, you know, the market's accepted that that's a dollar. Okay. So what's the difference? So if the Fed issues one, okay, I, that's probably more trustworthy. That's, you would probably not want tethers anymore. Or some people might, because they may not want to have a US nexus for some foreign player. So I think there's probably a, a reasons that tether exists beyond just it, the Fed not having one. But then you just have a digital version of a dollar. It's still a dollar, just because it's on the blockchain. And they print a lot of them. So what is, why? I mean, so yes, you, you, you have an easier way to move your dollars around. But do you still want dollars just because it's on a blockchain? No. They're printing them, so why you would still buy bitcoins? So I, I think, like, what? Who cares about these central bank digital currencies? I mean, you effectively have one when you use Apple Pay. Like, you use this a dollar right. anyway. You have digital dollars. So I kind of think, like, yeah, there's a lot of talk about them, but I feel like they're solving for a problem that no one cares about that doesn't need to be solved. There's no demand for it. Interesting, yeah. And mind you, they can already track every move we make, but with a 
digital dollar, they could really track everything we make if they put on exactly. The so I think you know, look, I think that's more of a thing that will stop. You know, that for them, I can see why they don't want people using Tether and some of these privacy coins, and they can track that. So it's in their interest. So that's just an efficiency and an operational play on dollars. And I, I get it. That's great. And it probably will make life much more, you know, more efficient than it is. That definitely will cut things out. But I think that's separate. That's just an efficiency play. That's like no different than like the impact that fintech or ATMs or things have had on our ability to use cash. That's very different from an entirely new asset class that <laughs> was never available before, right? On a new settlement system that's 24-7, that's very different. If and One of the last questions here, this has been incredible. Thank you. But if the U.S. let's use the U.S. government for example, the probably the most powerful in the world. If the U.S. government want, woke up one morning and was like, "All right, we are so far behind in the crypto arms race." It's not really an arms race, but again, we're so far behind. And sure, people said that about the internet, by the way, in the nineties too. No, right? <laughs> we're so far behind in the crypto arms race. We need to get our shit together. We need to get our ducks in a row. Let's build the crypto A team, the dream team. How would they go about pulling people like? You, Mashinsky, CZ, you know, SBF, like SBF. How does that work? Like, what kind of value prop could they even use? Like, could they do that? I mean, I don't see. So, from a value standpoint, and some of the, and again, I'm not a founder of a crypto exchange. I'm a grateful employee, but I think that the, you know, if you're one of these founders and some of the ones you've mentioned, I mean, on paper, and again, we'll see if they can monetize that. I mean, these people are worth so much money. Again, they make the hedge fund people look poor. Like there's no financial incentive for them to do it, right? Because like, the government can't pay them unless you know. But why do people do things like that? If it's like for the good, if you're good-minded people, it's like why people go and serve as an ambassador or something, or they want to you know give back. So that would be the only way they would do it is if they're very wanting to give back, or what's in it for them, or if they think that it's a way for them to make sure that they're not regulated out of existence and things like that. So I don't see a strong incentive and I don't see, I mean, the really, do I see the U S waking up and figuring that out? No, I mean, come oh, on, no. they can't even figure out basic stuff. Like if we should have police or not, I mean, like I don't see them waking up and solving the crypto problem. Right. So how, how does that look then? Like what can, what can big governments do? Cause most of the big crypto dogs, are almost anti-government in some sense as well. It's part of the reason why they've created crypto. Well, again, I think, so I think you have to separate out, again, it's like the internet. So that's just a tool. So blockchain is a tool. It's a, it's a big settlement system. So how is it being used? So you can't stop the internet. People thought they could and they can't. Right? Just like people are, countries are saying, oh, we're going to ban crypto. How? You think you're going to ban the blockchain? So if anyone has an internet logon, they can go in and get onto the blockchain. Like it's not, you, you physically cannot do it. Or, or there's so many ways around it that pe- smart people will find in VPNs and things. So like that's not physically possible. So what do you have now? A bunch of, I agree that people in the industry are very libertarian and it's great. It's a very empowering tool like the internet was. You know, it's the little guy could then compete. You know, Amazon was the little guy. He was a guy in a garage and look at what he's done. So that's pretty cool. Now he's the hated big guy, right? Who owns everything in the, you know, monopolist, but which is amazing how things change, right? But I think that you, you look at this space and a lot of, some of these operators, you know, are operating the, these big, global financial services businesses overnight in multiple jurisdictions, and they are you know, knowingly or unknowingly in violation of multiple rules. And there are enforcement actions now and investigators investigating. So you know, I, I think that they can freeze and shut down a lot of these companies tomorrow if they wish to. I mean, the, the violations are there. It's just, when are they going to, you know, it's in their power. Like if that were a bank, they would have been shut already. They seized right. the assets 
And you know, some of these fortunes can disappear very quickly overnight. You know, if you have. So at any rate, I think that I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of gone in a bit bit of a circle, but no, I think that just because that they're doing something, don't think that just because that no one's come after them yet that they haven't been racking up a lot of things they shouldn't have been done. And believe me, they're watching and they know everything. They're just waiting for the right moment, right? And I think if you had done it, let's say two years ago, taking down some of these bigger players, maybe it would have destabilized the whole system. I think now it's at a point where that's not the case. So you know, the bigger it gets, actually, the more at risk some of these players are. And the more that you have, I think, you know, look at Coinbase, big public company now. You have shareholders that own this company. Now, this company is following the laws, I think, you know, and then they, which they have to, they're a publicly traded company and they're regulated. They're competing against unregulated players. So if I'm, so the fact that these unregulated players are eating the lunch of U.S. shareholders and prejudicing them, like there can be lawsuits now and all sorts of things. And that's only going to expand, you know, and if JP Morgan like gets full on in crypto, do you think they're going to put up with competing with somebody who's not doing all the stuff they have to do and running all this compliance? No. And so then that's when it starts to happen. So I think the wagons will start to circle and, you know, the, it's, it will become like any other thing. It'll become big and boring. Like, you know, like, again, the Internet's not that fun anymore. It's just like three big companies, right? <laughs> like it, it used to be like crypto <laughs> 20 years ago. Well said. I, I really like that. Last question. What city do you think will be the crypto capital of the world? I don't think there'll be one. I think if, and again, let's look at history where if this is like, I think the most interesting parallel is the late 70s, you know, instability and high taxes. I think the places that started to boom were small, nimble places with low tax. And places like Cayman, Bermuda, <laughs> Liechtenstein, Switzerland, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong in the day, I don't know so much now, um, but you know, these were all very free market. These, these were like the last places on earth where you had like free, free trade. And when right. all of these, you know, and you can look at history, Europe and the U.S. like embraced regulation and tax, and it became very anti-business. And that, you know, the business just leaves and goes offshore, and it will always seek these places out, and they boom. Dubai is a new one. That's like the new Singapore. I think these places are booming and will continue to boom. And I think the more that you see the news tightening in these onshore places, that the more the businesses will boom there. And I think what's really interesting about blockchain. So blockchain exists in a period when we have an advanced internet. So you have the internet with a global settlement system. These and you don't have the, the companies can exist at these places, and you can still have clients wherever. It's going to be very interesting to see. So I, I think that these types of places are going to boom and do really well. And I think you know obviously the onshore places will do less well. Tax and regulation you know tends to look at what's happening at a micro level in in the U.S. A lot of companies are leaving New York and going to Florida just to escape the yeah. tax. And that's just the beginning. But imagine if you can like opt out of the whole U.S. tax system and go to, to a place with no tax. Yeah, it right? makes a huge def. Stephen, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time. I have learned a crazy amount here, and I'm sure our guests have as well. Before we let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can find you and BitRex Global on socials and online? Well, I'm not giving my address out, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be <laughs> at the Bitcoin Miami next week if anyone's there. Happy to meet up. Um, but in terms of you know, BitRex, I mean, you go to BitRex.com, and depending on which country you're in, it will direct you to either BitRex Global which is global.bitrex.com or to the Bitrex US site. So it's B-I-T-T-R-E-X.com. And I will post the links on Twitter and other socials as well. 
Stephen, this was an absolute treat. Thank you so much for jumping on. Hopefully I can meet you next week in beautiful, sunny Miami. I am already in Jupiter, so I'm a quick, you know, hour and a half jaunt away. Um, but Lucky you. I, it's uh, it's been nice. And thank the uh, thank the the man upstairs that I got out of Toronto. And but hey, I'm going back to Toronto after the conference. But yeah, lockdown city in Toronto, not a place to be right now. But again, you can't win them all. But uh, this was incredible. Thank you so much for coming on. Big fan of you and the company, and uh, would love to have you on for round two in the future. Thanks a lot. Take care, folks. This was Steven Stoneberg from Bitrex Global. This was an absolute treat of an episode. Really enjoyed this one. Learned a ton. Hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please subscribe. It would mean the world. We are on all major podcast players and we drop episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. Really hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly did. Love you. Appreciate you. Hope you're having an incredible day, afternoon, morning, evening, you name it. All the best. Take care. We will see you shortly. Bye for now.